0: i you Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is set to announce his bid for president tonight. In a conversation on Twitter with Elon Musk, we will size up his chances. We'll then turn to the debt ceiling negotiations. With the deadline fast approaching, the House GOP is pressing for deep spending cuts. Will Biden cave? And what if he doesn't? Then we'll once again revisit the Bud Light boycott with some depressing news. It worked. With sales on the decline and the company cracking down on progressive voices within, the right won. And now they're turning their ire on other companies like Target, and we'll discuss what we can do about it. Marjorie Taylor Greene paid $100,000 for McCarthy's used chapstick. Yes, you heard that right. We'll do our best to explain what's going on. This is Majority 54.
1: Jason, well, it happens tonight. You know, DeSantis is officially going to jump in, and definitely an unconventional rollout here. 6 p.m. Eastern time, he'll be hitting Twitter spaces, which... You're the Twitter expert here. What's Twitter Spaces?
0: Uh, Twitter Spaces is, it's just audio, right? Like there was this thing people may remember during the pandemic that popped up and was like huge for like five minutes, which was called Clubhouse, which was this social media site where you went on and it was just audio. It was like sort of like a live interactive podcast, right? And they would have people who were hosts Twitter Spaces, I think, I don't think I've ever done one, is basically the same thing. It's just Twitter went, we'll just go ahead and do that since people seem to like it. And then Clubhouse kind of went away, I think, or maybe it got acquired. I don't know. But that's what it is. It's like, uh, uh, I don't know, man. It's like a conference call. Twitter Spaces is basically a conference call. You can tune in. uh, If you like raise your hand, they probably can recognize you, which they're not going to do. And it's a conversation, I guess, audio only between Musk and DeSantis with some like mega donor uh, moderating it, I yeah, believe David Sachs. It, it,
1: yeah, I think yeah. he's the guy from the All In podcast, which is a very popular sort of tech okay. podcast. Um, interesting podcast for another day. We talk about that, but the I this is not how I pictured DeSantis announcing. First of all, I I, no. I pictured him like in a school with like a bunch of like grumpy kids behind him who are forced <sighs> to be like you know his like sort of you know uh, stage setting. And we were, he'll talk about how he took on the sort of beast that is sort of progressive pandemic policy and CRT and all this other stuff and how he won, right? That's what I expected from him. This is a curious choice, super curious mm-hmm. choice. And I'm, you know, they know better than I do about what they're looking to do, but it would make more sense in a world where raising money was his number one concern right now, but he's been really effective at raising money and... I think a lot of people have been looking at him, you know, he's kind of dropped a little bit in the polls over the past few months. And there's this narrative forming within sort of the conventional wisdom that, hey, DeSantis is dead. And right now the real clear politics polling average has Trump at, and and this is a national polling, um, it has Trump at 56.3, DeSantis at 19.4, Pence 5.6, Haley 4.3, Vivek Ramaswamy 3.6. Vivek, by the way, we've been covering him for a while. He's coming on a little bit, you know. I'm starting, to see, 6. Lo- starting to see a lot about him. That's he's he's polling
0: show. in in candor presidential campaign territory. There you, you know? go. Before I, I remember I, I there was a poll had me at like four percent or something like that. Well, you Iowa. would have
1: done if you would have been if you would have announced you would be doing way better than sure. But Obama but I doing. remember
0: sitting with Obama and saying he was like, look, man, and he was very encouraging. But he was like, at this moment, nobody knows who you are, and I was like well, you know, this poll, and I didn't even get halfway through it. And he's like, nobody knows who you are. And I was like, you're right, you're right. Nobody knows <laughs> well, who I am yet.
1: <laughs> it's interesting you should mention Obama because he, in I was on that campaign starting in February 2007. and We were getting killed for a while. And as of May of 2007, so the equivalent period of time that we're in right now, Hillary was up 62 to 23 in the national polls. And she was up mm-hmm. in all the early states. It wasn't until the summer that we were starting to pull Uh, closer to her in the early states. And it wasn't until the fall that we started to seriously narrow the national gap. And so what the the name of the game here is to survive and advance, right? And for for DeSantis, he's trying to capacity build right now. And I think it's way too early to say that he is, you know, like he's going to lose or that it was, you know, he's- he's Dude hasn't even announced. Right. And, you know, in that same year- This is what the GOP field looked like in the national polls, the Gallup poll in May of 2007. Giuliani with 25 points, Fred Thompson 19, Romney 17, McCain 14. McCain obviously who went on to get the nomination was fourth in the polls. Mm -hmm. So this is way too early to tell, no matter what you think about DeSantis, it is way too early to say that he isn't going to win. It's way too early to say that Tim Scott can't win or Haley or any of these other people. I personally think Scott is underrated in this race. I actually think his announcement—you know—we're yeah. never going to like a GOP candidate, so that's stipulated. Right. But I think and his if we, And if we do,
0: they're going to lose. Like right, if we yeah. do, it's, <laughs> yeah, like, which is probably it's like oh, you know, John Kasich ships. seems tolerable, and then like, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. then they're like, who's John Kasich? Like, right, like that's if were how me, you like, know like, they're like they're never going to make it.
1: Yeah, your your buddy, the the governor of Utah, for up to me, he would be the GOP nominee. Right,
0: uh, but which is why. He won't be. Right. Because, because they'll just play clips of people like you and me being like, fellas, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, anyway. It's ahead. funny. I might interview him
1: over the summer. There's some conference going on where somebody suggests that I interview him. And I was like, sure. Love the guy.
0: Spen- like to- Spencer Cox, shout in. out.
1: Yeah. Um, would love to talk to him. Uh, but okay. So the point here being, we have no idea. And I and by the time this airs on our podcast form, this forum will already happen. Although we're going live midday today on Wednesday. And I think it's really fascinating because the, the early state polls are actually much more narrow. So in New Hampshire, the last mm-hmm. po- like reputable poll I saw is the UNH poll in April, 42-22, Trump-DeSantis, more narrow than the national polls. Iowa, May 11th, American Greatness poll, 42-34. So this guy All is right. well in it. And he did a really smart thing early on in this race, which is he did a, a book tour. I'm putting air quotes around it. So he didn't have to mm-hmm. dip into any... Campaign funds, and he's been traveling the country to both early states and other places, essentially doing the work of a campaign without having to spend any campaign dollars.
0: And Mm so now, and being able to accept all sorts of in kind stuff like rides on private jets and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. So those days are over now. He's now squarely in the middle of the campaign. Obviously, Trump is going to feel a little bit threatened by all this. Uh, A spokesperson, uh, Caroline Leavitt. A spokesperson for Make America Great Again said the following, quote, this is one of the most out of touch campaign launches in modern history. The only thing less relatable than a niche campaign launch on Twitter is DeSantis' after party at the Uber Elite Four Seasons Resort in Miami.
0: I don't know. Just like, I mean, let's just stop for a moment and just appreciate the fact that, like, there's no such thing as irony or hypocrisy in that world. Like, the dude owns hotels. (laughs) Like, I mean, and they're like, whoa, you're having your after. I mean, like, Trump made his announcement by coming down the escalator in his own building. Right. I mean, so that's all beside the point. Uh, It's always scorpion
1: versus tarantula stuff, you know? Exactly.
0: yeah, exactly. All right. So but let's do this exercise uh, because it is a curious announcement. Let's try before we just, you know, kind of make fun of it, which is what a lot of the left is going to do. Let's let's make the argument for why they would do it. This yes. way, Right. Let's see if we can figure it out. Uh, let me I'll start. I can think of a couple of things. One, he wants to position himself. As the next generation candidate, right, the youthful candidate, for sure. Um, so, so going and doing something very different uh, and doing it in a different platform kind of says "ducka ducka." Hello, fellow kids. Yep. like I, I know <laughs> what I'm doing here, right? I know my way around this thing. Um, and then, I guess the other point I would make is maybe that it it plays more to his strengths because if he does a, it's kind of like why some of the better. Uh, responses to the State of the Union have been unconventional. Yes. Because if you try and match the State of the Union, uh, it, it doesn't look very good. But whereas... That's the you know, worst is, gig in
1: politics, by the way, the yeah. response to the State of the Union address.
0: And this strategy has often not worked, but it has sometimes worked where it's I, where you sort of just say, Hey, I'm just going to be alone by myself. Like, like I've always thought if I had ever been asked to do that, I was just going to be like on a living room couch and I was not even going to, I was going to have bullet points and I was just going to be like, here's some stuff that was just said. And then just talk to somebody like you, it was just you and them. And I feel like that's sort of what they're trying to do.
1: Yeah. And I think there's Twitter now, there was a great article, I forget in which publication was basically saying that Twitter is now the new Fox News. And, you know, mm. people like Daily Wire are moving all of their podcasts also to Twitter spaces or whatever the equivalent. Tucker Carlson's is. going Tucker there. Tucker Carlson and all that. So, so in that sense, what's your number one goal with these things is to get a lot of eyeballs on it. And unquestionably, they're going right. to accomplish that goal. Number two is Elon Musk is like a very popular guy on the right. So, yes, although he's not. He probably doesn't need that much money. He will raise a lot of money in this announcement. He'll also get a lot of awareness. I think he'll take back some of the narrative over how like, he's dead in the water or whatever. I think part of what he'll be able to do is show himself to be a little bit nimble and and responsive and less defensive. And just he'll have people listening to his message. And it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around it. Because we are not Republicans. But what right. he's going to do is he's going to be troll DeSantis. And he's going to hit all the greatest hits. And he's going to mm-hmm. talk about making America Florida again or whatever. I don't know if it ever was Florida, but make America Florida, period, I guess is his slogan. And <laughs> yeah. that's not appealing to us, but that's appealing to a lot of people in the Republican Party. And my sense, I could be wrong about this. You'll be listening to this podcast tomorrow and you'll be able to, to, to check me on this, is that the conventional media will make fun of it, but that in the end, it'll probably be better than the normal kind of like, remember when Haley announced? like, no, I don't either. Right. So it's like, yeah, like right. it'll be a more memorable, effective launch than most campaigns have. That's my prediction.
0: And And I think, you know, some people are looking at it and saying, well, you're announcing with Elon Musk, who's not even endorsing you. Right. But, but he's, I think the way they're thinking of it is, well, we're announcing on Elon Musk's platform and we're using Elon Musk to get people there. It's like, didn't, yep. did not Schwarzenegger, he went on, I think on Leno, he went on The Tonight Show to announce that he was running for governor. And people were like, that's not how you do it. And it's like, well, yeah, that's not how other people do it. Now, yeah. that said, like. Every time we talk about this in a way that doesn't just trash DeSantis every third sentence, we have to be like, we are against Ron DeSantis. Yeah, but
1: why even waste your breath? You're listening to this podcast, you know we believe that, right? Exactly. But the other th- I'm
0: just telling yeah, you.
1: But the other thing that I think, is, and it's important to just understand these dynamics, right? But the other thing that I think is, is, is potentially genius about this move is that Musk is one of the most effective attack dogs out there on the right, mm-hmm. if you're on the right. So here's one thing that could happen in the next 24 hours. Trump goes after Elon Musk. That's right. a perfect scenario for dissent. That's a great
0: point. Perfect or anybody else DeSantis. does. Yeah. Anybody else does. And all of a sudden, uh, before Elon Musk realizes it, he's in the bunker with you. He yep. didn't mean to be. And that's what DeSantis wants. But you're both wants. being attacked by the yeah. same place. That is yeah. a good point. That's what he that wants. was a really good point.
1: Because I'm a firm believer that Musk took a lot of the oxygen out of Trump's shtick. Because he's a smarter, mm-hmm. younger crazier more unpredictable more powerful person at the moment than trump is who does a lot of the same stuff trump does he gets on twitter he says crazy things you never know what you're going to get from him and he's basically taken that place over the past two years mm-hmm. and so if yeah, you're,
0: particularly when you consider that even though the musk name isn't on stuff it's very much the way the oh, trump yeah. brand was everywhere i mean between spacex and tesla and now twitter like everywhere people look they feel like there's a reminder of elon musk
1: so that's my that's my thing if, if you're desantis that's what you want. You want tonight, Elon Musk at 3 a.m. logging onto Twitter and getting in a fight with Donald Trump. Now, I don't know if that's Mm going to happen, but that is the perfect scenario for you. So so with that, let's move on to this debt ceiling situation here. So as we're recording this, still no deal in sight. But Jason, you have been talking about how the GOP and you're using this as a metaphor. Uh, yeah. you, you were saying how the GOP. So are going. they, it turns yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. <they're> saying <laughs> you're saying they're holding us hostage. Let's go to some audio of Matt Gates, um, you know, America's congressman from Florida. This is what he had to say about the the state of the negotiations right now. So, would you say then the conservatives, like yourself, are becoming more pessimistic about the state of negotiations? If you know there's a bipartisan deal in sight, maybe, or how would you like characterize the mood among your conservative colleagues right now?
0: I um, think my box. conservative colleagues, for the most part, support limit, save, grow, and they don't feel like we should negotiate
1: with our hostage.
0: Man. So, yeah, I've been saying for a while that the entire dynamic of this negotiation is it's it's I'll repeat it for anybody who hasn't heard it or needs a refresher. It is a hostage situation. And Biden is the hostage negotiator. The Republicans are the hostage takers. They're holed up inside a building. They've got a bunch of hostages. And then Biden comes in and they make their demands and their demands are like, we want a helicopter. We want all these things. Right. <laughs> and and. And Biden's like, okay, okay, I'm going to give you the helicopter and I'm going to give you a bus to the helicopter. Right. And he's like, but I'm not giving you like I'm not going to help you like uh, get on the bus or whatever. Like there's limits to the negotiation. And then the Republicans, the hostage takers are like, look, we made demands. Uh, We've done everything we can do. He (laughs) needs to be a grown up and come to the table and offer some kind of compromise. Right. And. And it, obviously in this metaphor, we, the American people or the American economy, that's those are the hostages. And we've been saying this to try to get it across to people that that's what's happening. There's not a real negotiation happening. There's a hostage crisis going on. And then Matt Gates or gets or however that criminal spells his or pronounces his name. I can't remember. He just is like. We're not going to negotiate with the hostage, which I don't even know. I don't even think he understands the metaphor. Like, is the hostage Biden? Is the hostage us? Either way, it's not okay. I'm very confused by negotiate with. Does he mean negotiate over the hostage or negotiate directly with the hostage? Who's his hostage? I mean, I feel like all of us, really. I think so. (laughs) So here McCarthy was
1: asked about why he didn't. He's not floating any concessions. Uh, this is what he had to say. You're going to need democratic votes, probably in the House, definitely in the Senate. You have a Democrat in the White House. Why not offer a single concession beyond saying we're not going to default?
0: We've offered a lot of concessions. The cap on the spending is a Democrat
1: idea. They want to the work. Spending, you the work or, uh, requirement was a Democrat idea. So the to- time. I can't help it if the Democrats have become so extreme and now it's a party of Bernie Sanders than the party where Joe Biden was elected. Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He is the head Democrat. But if AOC and Bernie Sanders is going to run their party, that's not my fault. I'm not even sure Bernie Sanders is a registered Democrat. Okay, a couple of things here, Jason. <laughs> what yeah. is So he's asked like, hey, like, how come you're not from concession? He'd be like, you know, they, these are their ideas. Be like, well, no, they're not. Well, and then he's like, well, they're radical. And I'm like, well, okay, that, well, I, I that, that argument understand. didn't even last long. Like, first of all, yeah. he's, he, he, those aren't democratic ideas. Like, maybe and if
0: they were, they were like, hey, would you like this? Because we don't want this, but if you want, the, like, we could offer you this, right? He's
1: he, what he's doing is saying, like, he's in a negotiation with Democrats. Democrats are offering things. That they think he wants, and then he's saying they're democratic ideas. That's the best interpretation of what it is. But then when he's being called on it, he's just like, hey, they're radical. (laughs) That's
0: crazy. So in this case, the hostage negotiator took the hostages and then wouldn't answer the phone. And then when he finally did answer the phone, they were like, would you like a helicopter or a bus? And he was like, look, I've made concessions. I considered your bus. I considered your helicopter. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna shoot these hostages. It, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's it because they know that at the end of this hostage crisis, they can run ads that say these hostages got shot under this hostage negotiator negotiator's like on his watch. Yeah, that's that's what they have on us, and we shouldn't pretend they don't. And they know it. They know that. That the average persuadable voter understands that there's a Democrat in the White House and they don't often understand a lot more than that. And it's not that they don't understand. They don't often care about a lot more than that because they're persuadable because they got other stuff going on in their lives.
1: Honestly, and I do not envy Biden here because like he needs some GOP votes in order to avert this if you don't think he has the 14th Amendment power but even you know he he's floated over the weekend that he believes he does have the fourteenth amendment authority Yellen seems a little bit cooler to that idea both Biden and Yellen have said that the problem is even what no matter what they think their authority is they still are going to have to have it pass muster of this very partisan supreme court So in the end, Mm -hmm. they'd have to put it in their hands. And the problem is if you go too fast to the 14th Amendment argument and then the Supreme Court shuts it down, you've now removed leverage that you have otherwise. So it's a really tricky situation, one that I do not envy Biden in. And it just seems like he's like plowing ahead and staying pretty professional. Even McCarthy called Biden professional, which is the, the most you're going to get out of McCarthy in terms of a compliment. But what's your sense of how this ends? Because honestly, we're running out of time. We're at May 24th. People are saying the government's going to run out of money potentially June 1st.
0: I don't, I, or as far as the debt, you mean the debt yeah. is going to be called on June? Yeah. I don't know. And not to like go backwards for a minute, but, you know, there was a discussion during the lame duck after the midterms of just going ahead and doing this and then saying that this doesn't have to be done anymore. It automatically is going to, the debt ceiling automatically gets lifted and boy, it really does feel like that was a real error. Not doing that. Now I think if I recall correctly, I, I my guess is maybe mansion or somebody wasn't going to go along with it. Um, So, you know, just another, you can put that in the column of stuff that sucks because they wouldn't go along. But now, that was all all the going back i wanted to do i don't know how this ends um i don't think we'll default um but i don't know how much they're gonna have to concede given that the republican like the republicans are trying to increase military spending while they try to decrease all this other spending and they're using this trick uh that i often saw used like in the state legislature and gets used across the board which is every year you know, because of cost of living, because everything co- like the baseline goes up as to what something costs. So so, you know, you can if, if something had a one dollar spending line last year, it may have a dollar ten cent spending line this year, but that doesn't represent an increase that just represents this is what things cost mm-hmm. now as opposed to what they cost last year. And oftentimes you'll have politicians talking about that as a spending increase. And then, the, you know, and then they'll say, hey, we kept spending even and they're like, no, you didn't. It increased, you know, so. What I don't know is how much of these cuts are going to be to the baseline or like real dollar to dollar cuts, like this year over last year. And I I would hope that that's what they're getting into at this point.
1: Yeah, we've we've but long we've long discussed in this podcast other seasonal deficit hucks. That if you look at the data, right. actually, Republican presidents have a worse record of growing the the debt uh, than Democrats do. And here's here's another prediction. You know, God forbid our next president Republican and they do pass these spending caps, those spending caps won't last 100 days under the next Republican president. Like, right. they'll, they'll- That's are, true. So that's just what we're looking for. They'll,
0: they'll fall in love with the tax cut. You yeah. know, I, here's the argument I could make strategically for why this makes sense for the Republicans right now, even if they end up eventually um, uh, not defaulting, right? Which is that now we're talking about this. Yeah. I mean, we're spending a long period of time Talking about spending and the Republicans are going to go out there and say that there's too much spending, which a lot of a lot of people agree with just generally. So they're getting to look like they're on the right side of this, like a lot of people, you know, like a lot of people will sympathize with that. Not all people, um, but. But there are a fair amount of persuadable people who will sympathize with the general idea that spending needs to be cut without getting into the specifics of what kind of spending. That's good for them. Uh, And it also keeps Biden on defense. So it means we're not talking about the need um, for an assault weapons ban right now. We're not talking about, you know, all sorts of things that are very popular in Biden's agenda that he could be that came out of the State of the Union that he could be hammering the Republicans in the House with all the time. Uh, and that therefore the Republican presidential candidates would have to respond to Then None of that's happening because they're keeping this going exactly the way it is. And, and so that's to their advantage no matter what happens at the end of this. Right.
1: Yeah. I've long felt like if the Republicans were smart, they would move tax day to right before the election, because then they'd right. be they be able to talk about what they love talking about, which is out of spending. It's a
0: great point. You
1: know? All right. Well, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors, uh, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, some really troubling trends uh, coming out of this Bud Light boycott that we talked about and how now the Republicans are moving on to other corporations after they feel like they've tasted blood. And then we're going to talk about this curious incident in which Marjorie Taylor Greene paid $100,000 for use chapstick all of that and more when we return
0: majority 54 is sponsored by lomi Uh, i have a family that apparently it creates a lot of waste. And when I say it that way, it sounds funny. We, we create a lot of trash, a lot of stuff that should go in the trash. And, and that means that when you have a lot of trash left over, and then the week comes to an end in our area, trash gets picked up on Wednesday. Uh, you know, I, I, ought, you, most of the time I feel pretty guilty about it because I'm like the guy out there with multiple bags. And I got to like ask a neighbor, can I put it in your spot? Or I've got to get one of these tags from the city. And I put that in my trash that says I paid for this extra bag. Uh, but low meat, Transforms all that extra garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in under four hours. And now, I am that guy that I remember from my neighborhood when I was younger—the kind of strange guy who loves composting. But now I don't think it's strange. Now I just think it's it's awesome. Yeah, it's it's like made cooking at home even more fun because when there's food waste, oh, awesome! That goes into the compost even better. Uh, so there's no food rotting in the garage and smelling up the or, or smelling up the kitchen. Uh, thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash this once a week, and it's hassle-free. And I don't have the embarrassment of like everybody's using my extra bags. I get to help the environment and make my life easier all of my food scraps my plant clipping uh even those those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge they go back into what would be my garden if I have a garden but instead you know they go into making the grass be a little bit greener uh and it helps me grow uh should I start a garden, more nutritious food uh, right in the backyard. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash Majority54 and use the promo code Majority54 to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Majority54 and use promo code Majority54 at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode. If you've been listening to this show for a while or even for a short period of time, you know that we love our athletic greens and we're always talking about the travel packs. I thought for today's ad, I would just drop some knowledge on you about what I've learned, my wisdom about how to use the travel packs. I just got done with a trip to New York and to D.C. and I figured out a few years ago that the best way to do it is you get like a bottled water like AG1 will send you like it's own, your own water bottle and that's great for at home. Personally, because I don't want to clean it, I don't take that with me on the road. So what I do is I just get a bottled water at the beginning of the trip. I refill it a few times and right before I actually put my AG1 in there, I just like, uh, you know, I just like take a sip. So you get like a little, like an extra inch of space in the water bottle. And then you just open up the travel pack and you just pour the, wa- pour the, uh, the greens right in, put the cap on, shake it up. It works perfectly. It makes it where you can take your AG1 every every day of your trip, every day that you're traveling. Uh, I currently take it in the morning. I think Ravi takes his in the afternoon. It makes me feel like I'm giving my body the nutrition that it craves, like I'm covering my nutritional bases. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five of those travel packs for free. And that's with your first purchase. So go to athleticgreens.com majority. That's athleticgreens.com majority. Check it out.
1: Well, Jason, in more depressing news, the we have <laughs> covered we had covered multiple times this Bud Light boycott and it's when it was in its infancy and we were debating at the time, you know, was this going to be effective or not? And at first, we were like, hey, this is laughable; it's not effective. But then we started to raise questions pretty early on to be like, well, actually, like if these folks get a little momentum, this could be really dangerous. And, and it turns out. They've accomplished what they wanted. We talked about how Matt Walsh called for this boycott and says they wanted a victory. And now, as we look back, by the second week of May, Bud Light sales volume is down more than twenty-eight percent compared to the same period last year, as its competitors saw increases during the equivalent period of time. And uh, Bud Light capitulated. You know, for a couple of weeks they were silent, and then they started running patriotic ads to try to capitulate certain people. Uh, and then they uh, wound up putting on leave the marketing executive who is responsible for this, and that marketing executive's boss. And so they've now p- managed to piss off both the right and the left here, which is depressing alone. But now uh, the right, you know, the Daily Wires of the world, Matt Welsh, et cetera, are moving on and explicitly stating that they're going after other companies, and it seems like Target is in their sights right now.
0: Yeah, I was actually in a Target the other day, and I walked in and I saw the display at the front that it was sort of, it was not like in your face, but there was like an LGBTQ sort of pride thing, and it was just like a cup, a few shirts, and I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, I wonder how long this will last." Like before any of this stuff came out, I was thinking because I was thinking about the Bud Light stuff, and I was like, "Wow, they're really leaning into this," and now it sounds like they're leaning back out. Yeah. To me.
1: I mean, so the basics here is that for over a decade, they've sold a selection of, you know, LGBTQ friendly apparel, uh, especially around Pride Month, uh, including like rainbow adorned clothing, et cetera. And uh, they've sometimes received criticism of this, but they've largely stayed strong. Um, but this year it seems like under pressure and in some cases vandalism, um, they've backed out, they've removed certain items and also have moved the... Uh, The displays from the front of the store in certain cases and it really does seem like they're caving to the terrace Uh, Let's let's go to a clip here. This is a clip of somebody and for audio I'll try to narrate this for you. This is a clip of somebody uh, Going through a target location and knocking down The pride display that there is no insert There's nothing on it. So So, you know, for those of you who are listening at home, it's a guy just walking around. He picks up the rainbow uh, display, throws it on the ground, kicks it while another woman who's watching along says, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Which would be my question too. And basically there's this, there's this effort out there starting with certain right-wing voices like Matt Welsh, who've been explicit about their goals here. And then basically, you know, domestic terrorists on the ground trying to intimidate Target and its employees and Target is to a certain extent back down.
0: Yeah. And I think it's important here to note that while you don't want to see Target back down, it is a real consideration. Like they talked about in terms of the safety of their employees. Like it is like, that's not an unreal thing that because yeah, you don't want to see them back down, but also like if, if you're an executive at Target what you also don't want is to find out that somebody that there was a shooting inside Target, or that somebody was beaten, that one of your employees was, uh, and so it is not an easy decision here. This is not like with Bud Light, where it's like, you know, we might sell less beer. Like Bud Light doesn't have Bud Light stores right. that people can, you know, just walk into necessarily and and create what are basically terrorist acts.
1: Yeah, and there was this controversy over a swimsuit, which was. Uh, and this is from the reporting of the Wall Street Journal, with the Wall Street Journal described as transgender friendly. And of course, the right claimed it was for children. Target confirmed that it was for adults only. And putting aside whether like trans children are entitled to bathing suits, um, this is like a, you know, it's just sowing misinformation and not being responsible in any way for what they're saying. And This gets to a familiar point. I had a a, a debate and discussion with um, uh, a more conservative friend yesterday about this. And, you know, she was saying, hey, like, this is just people being like frustrated over what they've used, corporations, um, you know, wading into politics and yada, yada. I was like, look, we can have a debate about whether, you know, the NFL is genuine when they, you know, Throw up a BLM hashtag or something. Like, that's one thing. This is not that. Like, the Bud Light thing was about just a transgender person being allowed to, you know, to be entitled to the same kind of viral marketing treatment that everybody else who has big followings get. I, we've previously talked about how, you know, Ben Shapiro, you know, basically was ready to call for a boycott of Disney if they even had a gay character in Frozen. Right. And now in this case, it's like acknowledging LGBTQ pride uh, and the existence of trans people in your apparel is wrong. So if you have conservative family members who are like, hey, I'm just sick of corporations telling me what to do, et cetera, it's like, you don't have to buy any of that stuff. You know, you don't have to like pay attention to a trans influencer if you don't want to. But what Matt Walsh, the Daily Wire, and all these other people are trying to do is erase identities, it has nothing to do with their messages. That they disagree with it has to do with the identities of the very people they're going after and this this should be wrong for people who aren't even with you on all of the trans rights arguments that you make
0: i i also think what's interesting about this is that this unlike what we're seeing out of state legislatures for instance this is going way beyond just targeting and i'm not excusing this but it is a more narrow group when in the state legislatures when they're when they're going after uh in most cases like trans athletes now it, it has branched out like in kansas and missouri here to uh you know gender affirming care um so but even that again not excusable but it is more narrow than just lgbt anything right and and so what i think is notable about that is that the right has figured out hey from a legislative standpoint we can do these things that are bigoted and hateful, and we can score political points as a result. But if we branch out too far in the legislative arena, well, then there's gonna be a backlash to that, that they're diminishing returns politically. However, the Matt Walsh's of the world, they're not looking for political gain out of this they and the Daily Wire and all of these folks, they're looking for monetary gain. They're looking for how do we get clicks? How do we rev people up? And how do we stay in this subset of people who would love to see, you know, uh, same-sex marriage be banned again and would love to see all these things that don't appeal politically, but we can make money off of these people and their hatred. That—that That is what is, I think, so cynical about this. But yet at the same time, is kind of makes me feel a little bit more idealistic that they realize that they've lost the political legislative battle and now they're just trying to maximize the amount of money now it doesn't victimize people any well it does less and that you're not going to get laws against it but it doesn't put people any less in danger of these of these people who will do homegrown terrorism and will go and find a target employee or a trans person and will physically hurt them and become violent that is just as serious But it is just interesting to me that this has become an industry, an industry where you can attack the LGBT community writ large. You can't do it politically, but you can do it in the entertainment space for these folks and make them feel like they belong and you can make good money off of it.
1: Yeah. And I think this is really important when you're talking to people who, and sorry, there's like an ambulance or something going down the street over here. You might be able to pick that up on my mic. But- When you're talking to people in your life, and I have this experience, I know a lot of our listeners will talk about this. Some people on the right are like connoisseurs of anecdotes that take so much time to figure out about this kid who did this surgery in this state and whether it's right or wrong, et cetera. And I often have, and I I do this for a living, I often have a hard time keeping up with what are all these stories people are telling. And I think what this saga gives you is the opportunity to step outside of like this, this sort of like picking and choosing cherry picking anecdotes, which sometimes aren't reliably communicated to you. And just say, look, I don't know about what happened in that you know hospital in Tennessee that you're talking about. I'll, I'll look it up. But what I do know is that they're saying out loud what their motivations are, which is goes well beyond any debate we could have about what age a kid should be when they receive a surgery or at what age a kid should transition and yada, yada, yada. And it goes to the heart of whether people should exist and be free to be who they are, and I think you start to like expand the circle of people you could persuade on these issues once you remind them what the project is. Because what Ben Shapiro is saying around Frozen, which is that if they have a gay character, uh, that we should boycott Disney, or in his case, he says that it will be the end of Disney. Right then. Most sensible people, including certain center-right people, look at that and they say, well, that's a little crazy position, right? Because there are mm-hmm. gay people in society. Shouldn't they be represented on TV? And is it, it's like a small thing to ask that, you know, some characters show up on TV that represent society writ large, right? Like, make them ex- make them explain their extreme position.
0: And, you know, we've said this a lot on this show, and personalize it because, you know, Not everybody listening to this has, with the conservative relative they're going to argue with, has a mutual friend or relative who is trans, but you all have one who is gay. Yeah. And and like, you cannot be afraid to, to humanize that conversation. Or, and if you don't have that, don't be afraid to humanize the conversation by saying like, what if I was trans? You know, what if I right now told you I was? Or what if right now I told you that I was gay? You know i've may have told this story before but back during don't ask don't tell i knew a guy he was an active duty uh, lieutenant colonel in the army and he had a rule because you know it's i'm sure not really the case anymore because of the way the culture of the military has changed although i'm sure it's sometimes the case but much less the case that that uh, homophobic language just for a long time was just sort of part of the lexicon in the military um and his way of dealing with that now this guy was straight he was married to a woman and he he had he had a family with her uh but whenever he would start a new assignment he often was the boss and if anybody would say anything even like remotely hom- homophobic around him he would say hey and this was during don't ask don't tell he'd say the rule is don't ask don't tell you cannot ask me whether or not i'm gay and i can't tell you whether i'm gay But for the course of the two years to four years that we'll be on this assignment working together, I would prefer you just assume that I'm gay so that none of those things are said, you know, in this unit. And I've never forgotten that. I thought that was such a unique approach. And I think you can use that uh, with people in your life. You can say, hey, you know what? Uh, Just assume that like I might be trans and then maybe just, you know, approach our approach our relationship that way. And it, it, it can change the way people think about things. You don't have to actually have a trans or a gay person in your mutual relationship with somebody to personalize that.
1: Yeah, well well said. Well, let's talk about something truly trivial for a second here, which is I just, I, you know, we, I have this sort of section of our outlines I always call quick hits. And this one... We don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but I want you to explain to me what the hell is going on here, Jason. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. So apparently there's some kind of fundraiser for the House Republican campaign arm. And Marjorie Taylor Greene placed the winning bid, which is $100,000 for used chapstick that was used by uh, Speaker McCarthy. I don't. I don't get it. There's a. I have so many questions. First of all, I didn't realize that Marjorie Taylor Greene was the type of person who's wealthy enough to throw around hundred thousand dollars. Well, is she?
0: I want to bring this up again and look because I have to assume this is coming from like her campaign committee. Yeah, that's probably right. Really right. Let's see. It's like you. You keep explaining this for. I I, what else is up.
1: there to explain? I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I just, it's just a crazy thing.
0: Like it has to be coming from her. I mean, first of all, if she actually gave hundred thousand dollars of her own money, then that's kind of scandalous on its own. Um, but because if she's got that kind of coin sitting around, because um, I don't think she, um, to my she, knowledge, she hasn't like. She was a, you she know, used she's to
1: own CrossFit gyms. I, mean, I don't know if she still does, but she was.
0: Uh, so th- then that's possible, I guess. Yeah. But either way, uh, usually the way this works is it's it's just um, members writing checks to the overall committee uh to to keep the majority like when i was in the uh in the state house i remember i served on the house democratic campaign committee which was just our attempt to try and take the majority and we were all expected to uh you know give from our committees to the central committee a certain amount not everybody did but it was something you were kind of expected to do so that even if you were in a safe seat you were expected to still go out there and raise money so that you could help you know the overall campaign arm um the weird part is that marjorie taylor green has gone from like uh, I am exclusively anti-establishment to I buy the chapstick of Kevin McCarthy for $100,000. Now, I guess to benefit the cause of advancing um, the uh, the Galactic Empire, which is what she believes in. But it, it, still, it's it's odd, man. Uh But you know what? Stuff like this happens inside. Um, Okay, so wait, Brett is telling us here. She's very wealthy and inherited money from her father and took over his construction company. Well, that's pretty, that's true to character. That stays true to form. So I believe that. But the point is, like, in this world of, like, the little club inside of of a house caucus, something like buying the chapstick can make perfect sense. Because... Once you get into an insular little world, whether it be Republican or Democratic or otherwise, or just like a fraternity or a sorority or a Dungeons and Dragons Club, is that a thing? I don't know. It all seems weird to the outside. So this is a strange situation where I'm going to say this is one of the least strange things that Marjorie Taylor Greene has done Uh, because members of Congress and politicians, it's amazing what will become normal. Uh, for all them. right well because well, yeah we do, that, that money goes to the house gop should we do grab an or one for us first let's do grab an or real quick i'll make it quick um which is we didn't have anything specific to throw out this week so um i just am going to remind people about veterans community project which is my day job which is because we stay say a lot of partisan stuff on here i will just say it is in no way affiliated with this podcast it's just something i care about and if you don't know about veterans community project you can go to vcp.org like VictorCharliePapa.org, VCP.org, or Veterans Community Project.org. And uh, what we do is we build uh, outreach centers. Uh, for any veteran of any type to prevent veteran suicide and connect them with services. And we also, what we're better known for, we build villages of tiny houses uh, with wraparound services to transition homeless veterans out of homelessness and uh, back into being fully functioning, contributing members of society, which we do it unprecedented 85% success rate. I am the president of national expansion at Veterans Community Project, have been for four years, and we uh, are now cutting ribbons in denver and sioux falls and uh soon in st louis and it's uh it's very exciting and we continue to to build and and uh, and add more locations so vcp.org we are almost entirely privately funded please feel free to uh throw us some of your coins uh, we could maybe bring out some chapstick i don't know
1: Yeah. well actually uh, i told you i didn't have a a, a grab order this week but i actually do have one uh first of all in. i i fully endorse giving and supporting the veterans community projects such important work Uh, One thing, and I have to be a little circumspect about how I talk about this, but I'm working on a a narrative podcast series with Ben Rhodes about uh, India, which is ostensibly the world's largest democracy, and we have a story that's really important to tell uh, that we're working on, and we just wrapped up the pre-production phase on this, and we're looking to raise money in order to make this documentary podcast series a reality, uh, and we need to raise Uh, some more money in order to green light it and travel to India and tell this story. Uh, And basically the stakes are as high as it can get. Like This is about the future of the world's largest democracy as it backslides pretty tremendously. Um, And we need to raise money in order to do it right. And so uh, we need some partners for this. And so we're looking to travel the country and potentially do events no matter where you are. We would consider coming out there, doing a little like reception or something, talk about the event. Uh, or we could just talk about it. So, like, if you just you know want to email me and be like, hey, I want to hear more about this, I might be able to support it. Or, those people who might be, support the fight for global democracy, if they're members of the India diaspora community, they just care about democracy and the freedom of the press and elections and that's the kind of stuff. So um, if you're interested in any of that uh, and you're interested in hearing more, email me at ravi at the branchmedia.org. That's ravi at the branchmedia.org. And I could share probably more information about it to you and we could talk about how we could work together on that.
0: And I'll just say, you know, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of the materials about this and the slide deck and everything and it is 100% a story that needs to be told and Robbie's going to tell it really well. So I would encourage people to, uh, to reach out and to find a way to support it. So, all right. That said one for us, uh, you were really sick until like this morning, right? I was really sick, man.
1: you know, I don't like, you know, it is the worst possible time. It's beautiful here in New York. Um, and you know, but I was able to just sleep it off, catch up on Ted Lasso and, uh, (laughs) you know, just eat junk food. So yeah so That's you're feeling
0: better now you're you're, you're, you're feeling you're better a, eat junk food what does it mean when you eat junk food That's no, no i know how to good. eat
1: like this is yeah. i know how to eat junk food so i yeah. i ate, all right i ate, i'll just tell you one of my two meals yesterday was an entire pizza so okay yeah, so right. i know how to do it well i
0: I've, I've eaten an entire pizza with you i yeah. i I know you can do that um all right uh well for me what a week man I mean we were out there in New York last week got to see you uh first class experience that true got to have in New York he he recognizes that's not a normal New York experience <laughs> we we stayed with our friend Claire McCaskill in her very nice condo there in New York uh which she has because of the MSNBC work and then we we went to New York New York the new Broadway show that our great uncle uh wrote um, with Lynn Manuel Miranda and like before we went to dinner with my uncle's two nights in a row which was great and then the second night Claire came and that was really fun and then we went to the show and the show was amazing so if you're watching this or listening to this go see New York New York on Broadway like it it is so so good uh and you know the whole show is really unbelievable but then like the final number which is just what you'd expect but the way it's done I mean it 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 it, it was very emotional for us I think it was for the whole crowd but especially for me uh and my wife because like my, my uncle has done a lot of Broadway shows, and this is the one that like you can see his whole heart in it because he's he's from Kansas City, but he's lived in New York since after, since he got home from World War II. He's 96 years old. And so much of what he has said to us over the years about why he loves New York. Uh, you know, he wrote the song New York, New York, like why he's so passionate about it is you, you. We got to hear it in the dialogue between the characters, the things he has said to us like in my grandparents' house in Kansas city over the years was there. And it was very cool. Uh, and then we, and then I, I'm just giving a full report on my trip. And then we went down to, to DC and, um, and Georgetown university gave me an honorary doctorate and I delivered the commencement address, which was congrats on an that, interesting man. life experience. Yeah. Cause thank you. because oh, look at that. Brett put up a little B roll of it. That's very so cool. Um, that's amazing, isn't it? So yeah. I, um, I've arrived at a point in my life where, uh, and you're here too, I think, I know you are, where we're no longer really interested in the bullet points of resume building, like the, I'd really like to have done this or say I did the, like, I I don't think either of us are interested in that sort of thing anymore. Um, and really getting an honorary doctorate and giving the commencement address is kind of one of those things, right? It, it's the kind of thing where, I mean, I'll be honest, like when I got home after a couple of days, I updated the bio on my website to include it. So I know it is one of those things, um, and I really thought I was past wanting any of those. But this was kind of the last one where when they brought it up to me, I was like, you know what? Yes, I think I do covet that accolade because it's, it's best. Yeah. And I, I well, I I didn't get into Georgetown for undergrad. I, it's where I wanted to go. And I didn't get in. And then, you know, I made it my mission to get good grades in college so I could go there for law school. And I did. But I I think I always still sort of had a little bit of an imposter complex about it. And then when you stand in front of 2000 people and your dad is there and they read this very nice citation and and it's a graduation at Georgetown and they're holding you up as an alum like that did it did make me feel good. And I went to the bookstore and I bought a sweatshirt and (laughs) uh, and and that's what I'm taking home from it. Um, But on the real the biggest thing happening this week is that as you know i'm giving like a full report robbie no because, i love as this. you know i want to see this uh, speech by
1: the way is it online yet
0: uh yeah it's on youtube okay brett you must have found it yeah I'm gonna um, pull because it up. uh brett found it so we could put it in the show notes i guess and you got to put the timestamp as to where to go in it but um anyway uh as you know for it's two years ago almost two years ago um I started accidentally Afghan rescue project to try and get some people I served with in Afghanistan out of the country. We were successful in doing that. We got a bunch of them to Albania and this crazy story that, you know, well, um, and, uh, and then we've gotten over 2000 people out now, but that original group of 371 has been languishing in Albania for a long time where we've been trying to get the U S government to let them in and let them resettle. And now they are finally really starting to, and the original family, the rahim my buddy rahim and his family uh now finally have their visas and in about one week they are going to arrive uh here in the united states and they're gonna they're they're coming uh you know to missouri uh and that's where they're gonna live the rest of their lives with their kids and everybody and it is yeah it's unreal like that it's finally happening and uh, my whole family's gonna go to welcome them here and i'm honorary doctorate school and all that but this is one of the coolest things I've ever been able to do. So I'm going to get to watch these, uh, he's, he's got four kids and then there's a couple of three nephews and they're all under 10. Uh, and I'm going to get to watch these kids grow up and hopefully I'm droning on a little bit. Like what I hope is that in 10 years, you know, they'll be involved in regular, you know, like looking at college and all that kind of stuff. And they will at that point not have any accent at all. It'll be unaccented in English for the most part. Not that that matters, but like my point being, they will have not lost touch with their roots, but, but be, have the luxury, the American luxury of taking for granted the other direction their life should. Like, that's what I hope for them. Mm-hmm. I just want to watch them become regular American kids mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and have their parents be like, oh, they don't even know how hard it was. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot wait to see that it's going to make me uh, so happy. Um, so anyway, well, that's incredible. Man. What
1: a, what a series of updates, man.
0: Yeah. Been wild.
1: Well, I think that's all been we got wild. today.
0: Oh yeah. I guess I should close it out. I was bu- so busy talking. <laughs> yeah, man, no, I that's liked, great. Uh, all right. Ravi gave like a 30 second update and then I gave a book report. All right. Remember to subscribe to majority 54, wherever you listen to audio podcasts, just search majority 54. Please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas mighty. Remember we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.